you are listening to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. From Beyond Cataclysm, where we talk to authors about a book that has stuck with them through the years for good reasons, or sometimes bad ones. My name is Chris, he, him, also known as C.M. Lowry. I love reading and writing sci-fi and quite recently released a book of flash fiction called The Diodocytes. You can find out more about me in various places on the internet and we'll chat about that at the end. We're not here to talk about me. We are here to talk with and about Rachel A. Rosen. Uh, Rachel goes by she, her, and is the author of Cascade, published by the Bumble Puppy Press in 2022. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, So uh, I'm Rachel A. Rosen, she, her. Uh, Cascade is my first novel. It's an urban fantasy set in Canada about 20 years after magic has returned to the world. I've also recently co-written a cookbook called The Sad Bastard Cookbook, Food You Can Make So That You Don't Die, uh, which is a book of recipes for um, coping with depression, um, disability, and just having far too much to do. I'm a teacher, graphic designer, and artist in uh, Toronto, and I have some cats who might be screaming in the background. That's fine. We've already we already chatted before we started recording about the fact I've got four dogs in this house at the moment. So uh, it's whether or not the row is cancelled out by the brilliant. Why have you come on the show? Well, there's this book I read. So what book have you brought for us today? Well, I have brought um, Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson. It's from 1998, and I, I think I read it shortly after it came out, uh, so in my late teens. Uh, it's very influential in Canada, and I suspect that nobody anywhere else in the world reads it unless I tell them to. Uh, <laughs> so I think it is an extremely uh, brilliant, groundbreaking, and absolutely underrated novel. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's definitely, I don't think it's one I'd heard of before before now. It did win quite a lot of awards at the time. Um, it, it did. It came out uh, to a lot of critical acclaim, uh, which is, I, I find fascinating because in a lot of ways, it was doing things about 20 years ahead of what was happening in the speculative fiction genre in general. I, I mean, abs- absolutely. Just from just from reading it, the kind of the post-apocalyptic setting and then the, um, well, what, what's, t- tell us more about it. Uh, so it's set in a post-apocalyptic Toronto. Uh, there's been some sort of a disaster and the result is that the uh, the rich people have all fled the city and uh, erected walls between downtown Toronto and the suburbs. And the poor are left inside the downtown to fend for themselves with no social safety net, no medical system um, and subpar housing. Um, isn't, that, isn't, isn't that just the story of kind of North American kind of housing generally? 
Exactly. Uh, and one of the things that I love about it is just, well, love and hate is just how prescient it is. Uh, so this was very much written in response to what was happening in Ontario and specifically in Toronto at the time, uh, where it was the beginning of uh, neoliberal and austerity measures that really slashed welfare rates, sh- uh, slashed education and healthcare funding, and threw a lot of people into the streets. Um, so she is writing about uh, the present day, what was happening in, in 1998, what's happening in 2022. Um, but also there's a current of hope that runs through it. Uh, the people who are left in the city end up relying on the old ways for survival. They're steeped in healing traditions, um, particularly from the Caribbean di- diaspora, which is uh, where Nalo uh, comes from. Uh, so the inner city is run by gangs. It's a brutal place, but it's also a place with a lot of community. And so the plot revolves around a premier of Ontario, who is uh, a very heartless, cutthroat neoliberal politician who's suffering from heart failure. And uh, so she needs both, a new both, heart. But both, uh, <laughs> both uh, uh, metaphorically and physically, I Absolutely. suspect. Absolutely. Uh, this is a very layered book, and it's not subtle, um, but the the uh, satirical and the political elements in it are uh, I think incredibly clever. Um, so she's suffering from heart failure, and she commissions uh, a gang leader named Rudy to find her a new healthy human heart. Uh, so Rudy's errand boy is a former nurse named Tony, who uh, is set on this quest to find a new heart, and that brings him into conflict with his ex girlfriend Tijan. Uh, and Tijan is uh, a daughter in a tradition of women who have healing powers and the ability to channel the gods. Um, and she's sort of the healer and, and protector of the city. So, kind of the, I mean, uh, the the rough outline of it. <laughs> I have to say it already immediately appeals. I, I don't know Canada at all, really, but I... Uh, I spent some time in uh, in North America, as in when I said North America before, I kind of meant the North American continent. But I spent some time in in the USA, and what we actually did was go and visit lots of different inner city kind of. Well, they were actually a lot of them were like Christian communities, but we visited people like all kind of rooted in areas that had suffered really badly from sort of the white flight sort of thing in the kind of the sixties and seventies, and and we're kind of really appreciating some of the cool, amazing bits of community that were left behind. That kind of, that thread of hope really uh, appeals. Have you got a, a quote from the book you'd like to share? I do. So this is from early on in the book. This passage is set uh, when Tijan and Tony are encountering the Jab Jab for the first time. He's a folklore figure from uh, the the Caribbean diaspora who I hadn't heard of before I I read this book. Um, And he represents sort of devils and evil and mischief, but also the liberation of enslaved people. And this being an urban fantasy, uh, they encounter him in a roti shop. Nice. (laughs) So I will do my best with pronunciation. It's uh, I'm not from this background. I'm uh, I'm pretty white. So apologies or uh, anything that I pronounce incorrectly. Hey, Tijan. Tony reached for her arm. She yanked it away, pushed between Tony and Krapad. She dragged the door open, 
and ran into the roti shop. The warm, fragrant air on her face was a shock. How come she was outside? Why was it warm? Tijan looked around her, then jumped as she felt Tony's hand on her shoulder. Tijan, what's up? You all right? She didn't answer. She appeared to be in a green tropical meadow. A narrow dirt path ran through it, disappearing into the distance as the road curved gently downward. The scent of frangipani blossoms wafted by on a gentle breeze. Baby stopped fussing. A figure came over the rise, leaping and dancing up the path. Man-like, man-tall, on long, wobbly legs, look as though they hitch on backward. Red, red all over. Red eyes, red hair, nasty pointed red tail juking up into the air. Face like a grinning African mask. Only is not a mask. The lips then moving, and it have real teeth behind round lips, attached to real guns. He waving a stick, and even the stick self paint up red, with some pink and crimson rags hanging up from one end. His dance, he dancing on them wobbly legs, flapping his knees in and out, as if he drunk, jabbing his stick in the air. And now I could hear the beat he moving to, to hear the words of the chant. Jab, 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 jab. Tijan shrank back, trying to hide baby's face from the terrifying sight. But he chortled and stretched baby fat hands out in the direction of the jab, jab. Tony had more sense. Behind her, she could hear him whisper, God almighty, what the hell is that? The jab, jab turned its appalling grin of living wood in their direction. It hopped right up to the three of them split its wooden lips wide and hissed in their faces a hot, stiff wind. Nice. Um, that last line, that was a appalling grin of wooden lips, was it? Yes. So it's, a, it's um, a carnival figure. So it's this mask that's transformed into a living thing. Um, and it's this recurring image throughout where the the carnival and um, and the masquerade sort of intrude onto this very gritty dystopian sci-fi reality. I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm I'm also not familiar with the uh, the legend of the the jab jab either. But you mentioned before it being kind of mischievous, like a little bit playful, and I found it really interesting that the baby isn't immediately scared by this thing, but is like giggling and wanting to reach its hands out and. Uh, yeah, there's layers. It, it, immediately, it yeah. feels it feels nuanced. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, sort of trickster um, and dangerous mischief built into the world building of this novel, and and that's something that I absolutely love in fiction, and and something that I think feels very authentic to many of our experiences of reality. Um, obviously, as I said, I don't share a cultural background with the author, but growing up in this very multicultural tradition, uh, this very multicultural city, you feel this sense of the unknown intruding into the everyday life that uh, that I know I personally relate to. Yeah, definitely. There was there were bits of the prose that jumped out as well. There was there was one sentence when uh, when they were describing the the jab jab where I think the word red. Was it red was used about like five mm. times in a row? And I, I was actually, I was really 
I was a bit frustrated by it because I find myself one of the one of the things you first see when you start writing um, is it's really easy to overuse adjectives sometimes. So be like, I don't know, like there's a, a scary dog, and then you realize that the next sentence you use scary again. And so to to look past that and actually intentionally read because it didn't feel stale and and wooden in that it felt like like it was a knife punching in again and again, which actually is a uh, was quite yeah was. I think it's quite a bold, brave kind of writing to to be able to kind of know that you've got the confidence to be able to to, to throw words in 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 repetition like that. Yeah, and her and her writing is so very confident. This was her first novel. Nice. Uh, and I can't imagine a debut novelist publishing something like this today. It throws you right in. Uh, it does not stop to explain any of the references, uh, any of the folklore, any of the language. It doesn't translate it for a white audience. It tosses you into the deep end. And if you can keep up, great. And if not, this is not the book for you. I mean, I'm definitely feeling a bit, uh, a bit. what's the word, called out there, given that my debut novel uh, has about there's about a paragraph, there's about a, a chapter of action and then two chapters of exposition explaining what's going on. Uh, <laughs> so, Rachel, what is your favourite thing about the book? I would say that her use of language is is number one and the sense of place and culture and specificity. Um, so at the time that this was written, uh, she wasn't the only Canadian novelist doing sci-fi and fantasy by any means. But the overwhelming majority of, of Canadian literature was overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly rural. And... Along comes Nalo Hopkinson and writes this book that just showcases the uh, the cultural, religious, spiritual, and political diversity that makes Toronto such a cool place to live. She name drops specific locations that I can walk to. Yep. Uh, she captures the rhythm of people's conversations on the street. And it has fantastical elements but it is is so grounded in the reality of the world around me that I absolutely fell in love with it. And at the time that I read it, there wasn't really that much like it out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. I, I would have absolutely guessed that it was majority white, the uh, sort of the authors in prominence. I'm, I'm intrigued that it was majority rural. Um, do you think that's a Can more of a Canada thing or? The population of Canada is not majority rural wasn't when I was growing up. It's not now. But the literature that's that was promoted, uh, particularly through the, you know, the 70s to 90s, really focused on this kind of rural frontier farming uh, tradition, which growing up here didn't resonate with anything that I had ever experienced. Um, I don't think it was until I was in midway through high school that I encountered a Canadian novel that was set in Toronto, mm. which is shocking because Toronto is the largest city. 
It's where most of the the population lives. Um, But there was just this emphasis on uh, Canada as a big, empty land to be settled. Uh, And that's the European colonialist tradition of of literature here. Um, And so anything that uh, pushed back against that, which this book absolutely does, is fresh and exciting and... um, and I think intrinsically um, political. Yeah, I think uh, I think the outside view of Canada. Um, I think we're sort of these days we're sort of maybe aware of like insanely rising house prices in Vancouver and things like that. But but I think if you, especially if you'd gone back ten years, I think we'd have said it was moose hunting in snow, and that was sort of mm-hmm. the full the full uh, the full breadth of Canadian culture. That and maple syrup in some way. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, that, I do think that's interesting. And you've, you've talked about you've talked about it being sort of ahead of its time. Um, I, I think the the idea of visible um, black sci-fi writers, um, I, I think probably um, I think N.K. Jemison's um, Broken Earth series back in sort of 2014, 15. I'm not saying that they were the first author by any means to be doing things in the sort of fantasy world. I, I feel like a little bit of a floodgate, floodgate, floodgate broke at that point, as in a sort of a reflection of the fact that that sort of thing was changing. So this coming out 17 years earlier than that um, is quite notable. And I, I was trying to find literary antecedents, and the only one that I could think of was Octavia Butler. Yeah. It was doing this sort of thing before uh, and spectacularly well. I mean, if you reread anything that she wrote, it absolutely still holds up and has that same sense of prescience. Um, but it's very much an American thing, uh, very much rooted in um, the American experience of um, Blackness and um, grappling with, uh, with that legacy of racism. You know, other other than her, I couldn't think of anybody who was writing this very unapologetically black science fiction and fantasy. I mean, I think we we you've already mentioned that you don't have any uh, kind of uh, bl- black heritage, and I'm I'm extremely white as well, and we absolutely recognise that there are have been thousands and thousands of authors writing brilliant stuff. And part of the issue here is that we've just not heard about them and that yeah. we are a contributing part of the problem. But still, I think I think it's important to kind of celebrate that, even it, as we know that we're commenting on it as outsiders a little bit. How about maybe, rather than the, the theme of it, what do you like about the the flow of the story in it? It's a very small story in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's dealing with this sort of backdrop of um, a city on the brink and a province on the brink and this political drama. But at the heart, it's a woman trying to find her identity and trying to find her place in the world, uh, grappling with a family tradition of trauma, a relationship that has gone off the rails, and learning what it means to be a good mother to her own child. And again, it's that human heart uh, that brings the politics and the magic of the setting. It just brings it home. 
Because again, that's that's something that we can observe all around us that is is so fundamental to almost everybody's experience. Um, you know, my my family has this legacy. Do I live up to it? Uh, do I embrace it or do I reject it and run away? I, I think Tijan is is such a uh, vividly realized character. Um, just her her being torn between. This man that she loves, who's disappointed her time and time again, um, her grandmother, who she has a very difficult relationship, the mother that she never got to know, and trying to build this hopeful future for her child in the midst of the ruins of civilization. But it reminds me actually a little bit of some of the uh, Kim Stanley uh, Robinson novels I've read, um, both read Mars Trilogy, and I recently read New York 2140. And both of them, where you said that that phrase, I loved it when you used it, apart from when you said literary and anti-descendants, which was, I was like, wow, that's that's proper language there. We well, just described it as being a small story. Um, because actually, I don't know if you've read, read the, the Red Mars Trilogy. But, I loved Red Mars. Yeah, whereas actually, I have to say, I didn't, didn't love uh I, I i think they're incredible books and i think i've reread more than once but um but the but actually there's quite a small story going on in there of like i mean mars transforming in a very fast and complex way but the characters within actually the the lives they're having in the interactions they're having with each other could totally just fit in a kind of alex McCall smith kind of like conversations on a on a little residential road um sort of level of level of complexity as well what if anything do you not like about the novel I I had to really struggle to find something that I didn't like the novel. So besides the fact that nobody outside of Canada seems to have read it, uh, which is a uh, travesty and a tragedy, uh, I would say there's really two points that don't quite hold up for me. So one of it is it one of the things is just a problem of its time, which is there's some portrayal of um, of trans people, and particularly the vocabulary used to describe trans people is archaic. It wouldn't have been considered offensive at the time, but that's just something that I would warn readers about. Um, you know, it uses the the type of language that was common in in the '90s, uh, which is not the language that we would use now. Um, it's I, I wouldn't say that the the trans characters are negatively portrayed, um, but their their experience certainly isn't centered uh, in the novel. Um, the The only other thing is, um, so there's a lot of talk about this idea of a donut city, and in again in the '90s, this did look as though it would be um, what happened. So you have this idea that the rich flee to the suburbs and the poor are left uh, in the downtown core. And actually in in Toronto, um, it ended up being the opposite. So it is only the rich who are able to live in the downtown core. Uh, It's a very hollowed out city in a lot of ways. There's high priced retail downtown and office buildings and almost no 
no organic street life. Whereas um, the poor and particularly uh, racialized poor people have had to flee to the suburbs. Uh, and, and that's where a lot of that um, that culture and, and energy ended up. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the whole kind of concept of gentrification um, of the kind of the inner cities being abandoned and then and then when people made their home there and built their culture there, actually even worse that being ripped up again and taken by the rich again. Um, and I mean, it's, you see it, you see it globally. Um, but you know, my, my experiences have been actually then what you end up happening is people are kind of scattered and cast to the suburbs. And, and then that, yeah. that rich culture is so diluted and so like isolate, you know, it was so, I, I live on a deprived estate in, in Northern England. Um, and people here just, have been here forever like they're just rooted and gentrification's just starting to stick its fingers in and as people move to where the housing's cheaper they're, they're going to be isolated in a way that even though they were poor here there was a richness of community that um mm-hmm. so it's interesting yeah I, I was going to ask that whether or not because obviously uh, one of the things that we know about canada is the cities probably i think pretty much nearly the worst in the whole of the kind of western world have seen an incredible price escalation so like that bit of of reading the future isn't in the novel no no um and i think there's a real difference between being poor in a walkable community and poor in the suburbs yeah because it's it's shifted some of the politics and the arts and cultural scene um, because of the issues with gentrification and, and, um, because so many people are forced to live, you know, either in suburbs or smaller cities, um, because of the high cost of real estate. So I, I think, um, she, she nails the political, um, and the, the social dynamics really well. But the the geographical element of it, I, I think um, it was very much true in the 90s. I don't think that it uh, holds up in the same way these days. And, and even then, people will be people will be listening to this podcast 20 years from now, obviously, because it'll be it'll be popular. You know, you're it'll be a class they'll be like this yeah. is Rachel A. Rosen was on this, you know, before before she made her billions of dollars. Um, but um, but yes, like like. And made and things will have shifted again in some way that we can't have predicted. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's interesting from that perspective. Why should people listening to this hunt it out for a read? Despite what I just said about um, some of the predictions uh, in terms of. of um, urban geography not quite being accurate it could have been written today the experience of marginalization of finding hope in a collapsing city and in a collapsing environment and this theme of survivance and resilience it's it's very much the thing that I think a lot of readers are looking for now in fiction. It's not escapist. It's confronting a dystopic reality head on and um, and learning how to survive it and to change the world for the better. Uh, 
And I, I keep seeing people searching for those themes and searching for the fiction that teaches you how to live in the end times. And I think for, for me, this is one of those books. It's like everything is collapsing around you and you still have a responsibility and an ability to change things for the better. And that's a beautiful turn of phrase there as well, isn't it? Like the fiction that enables you to live in the end times. That is, um, that's, that's an anthology title right there, isn't it? So that, so this is Brown Girl in the Ring uh, by Nello Hopkinson. If you were reading that and you loved it, what other what other books would you recommend? Has is there anything else that Nalo's written that you'd that you've enjoyed? Absolutely. Um, so this was her first book. I actually don't think it's my favorite of her books. Um, everything that she's written has been brilliant, but I would particularly suggest readers check out the New Moon's Arms. Uh, which is one of her later ones. It's about mermaids. And it's, again, reckoning with the idea of family and generational trauma. Uh, And the the thing that I like about it best is it's a coming-of-age novel about a middle-aged woman. Um, So you see in a lot of YA fiction, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, you would see a girl coming into her powers as she hits puberty. And in this book, it is about a woman coming into her powers as she hits menopause. And it is just a a gorgeous read about mothers and daughters. And uh, once again, having this sense of the magical world uh, penetrating the everyday reality. So I would recommend that. I, I think we we talked briefly about Octavia Butler and N.K. Jemison, um, sort of the person who uh, became well known for doing this kind of thing and um, telling the future through dystopian sci-fi and fantasy, and the kind of the person who has come most to prominence for doing that sort of thing now. Um, other um, other speculative fiction that deals with um, marginalization and colonialism on the land currently known as Canada. I would say uh, Wob Rice's Moon of the Crusted Snow, which is a post-apocalyptic novel set in a remote Indigenous community. And uh, Sherry Dimeline's Marrow Thieves and the sequel Hunting by Stars which is a post-apocalyptic series about um, Indigenous youth uh, whose bone marrow is the key to uh, restoring dreams. Um, I think those are, are really that, fantastic. That well. I mean, that sounds amazing. I think the, uh, the thing that you mentioned there about the idea of the, of the, the coming of age uh, sort of hitting at menopause, I actually think post-apocalyptic is really good for that generally as a, as a um, genre because what it does is it takes people generally who are in who are in ruts or in established lives or whatever. And it says, well, that whole world you fit into is gone. Um, and how do you mm-hmm. fit this new one? Uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, End of the World Running Club. And if you've come across that by Adrian Walker, um, which I, I'm not saying it's the best book I've ever read, but I did find it brilliant that the, the lead character in it is just basically rubbish. And then, and then, mm-hmm. and then, 
was slowly brought to terms with their rubbishness over the course of the book, um, which I found, yeah, I found quite, I mean, I probably felt a bit called out as well, as well but uh, <laughs> uh, well, never mind, that's the theme there. Fantastic. Thank you for talking to us uh, today, Rachel. And thank you for bringing Brown Girl in the Ring. I think that was an interesting chat. I would like to learn a little bit more about this cookbook. Oh, for sure. So the uh, the Sad Bastard Cookbook, Food You Can Make So That You Don't Die, is uh, a book that I co-wrote with another author who also writes for the same press as I do, um, Zilla Novikov. And we came up with this idea of recipes that you make when you are too exhausted to cook or eat for whatever reason my i mean my experience there is the recipe i usually cook then is just chocolate straight out of the bar really (laughs) okay incredible one of our recipes is peanut butter on a spoon uh nice uh because with uh, with varying uh, experiences of, of mental health struggles and physical disability and just trying to survive in late capitalism, uh, we, we've both sort of gone through these phases where we've struggled to feed ourselves. Uh, and so we looked around and there wasn't anything that we could find on the market that was dealing with some of those coping strategies. Uh, so we crowdsourced a whole bunch of recipes from our friends. Uh, we put this book together in 12 days. We got another friend to illustrate it. And uh, it hit the best sellers on Amazon for um, for vegetarian and vegan cookbooks, which absolutely shocked us. So the um, the print version is available through Amazon for money. But if you want the free version, you can find it on the website that we run, uh, nightbeatseu.ca. Uh, for free, we have the PDF up there. So uh, we wanted to make it accessible regardless of whether you could afford it I or mean, not. That's, that's fantastic. Um, we Before the show, we were talking about the fact that I have a I that beyond cataclysm, um, with with my involvement, uh, have a book uh, anthology coming out called ISBN Coffee uh, later this year, um, where basically we wanted to bring out a bag of coffee with an IS with its own ISBN number, uh, which which totally breaks the rules of ISBN. So what we're doing is then we're, we're printing a book with it just to give us an excuse to print an ISBN number on the coffee. Uh, but the book's going to be full of short fiction, recipes, uh, poetry. There'll be a couple of tiny little uh, RPG games in there. Um, but I would. I would love to have a, a, a Rachel Rosen original uh, contributed to that if possible. I would love to. That sounds like a fantastic project. And uh, I, I love coffee. So. <laughs> so we have been chatting to Rachel A. Rosen. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I am all over the internet. So you can find my personal website at rachelrosen.ca. So that is R-A-C-H-E-L-R-O-S-E-N.ca. Not like like the Android, but not like the Android from Blade Runner. Um, (laughs) She tosses an extra A in there. 
I just moved the A elsewhere. Um, so that's that's my website. Um, you can find Cascade and my chat book, So Human As I Am, at my publisher's website at um, bppress.ca. So it's Bumble Puppy Press. Um, I co-run a writing collective called Night Beats. So you can find us there at uh, nightbeatseu.ca. And that has author interviews, uh, recipes inspired by literature, uh, the cookbook, as I mentioned, and three uh, bonus chapters for Cascade and other projects. And you can find me on Instagram, Rachel A. Rosen, Facebook. If anybody still does Facebook, if you just look for Rachel A. Rosen, I will probably pop up looking spooky and gothic in a mask. <laughs> Nice. Not a wooden mask that that's coming to life in the prose. Not a wooden mask. Just just a regular uh, COVID mask. <laughs> oh yes, the COVID masks seems like a long time ago. So I've been C M Lowry. Uh, you can find me as at C M Lowry on most social medias, uh, or my personal blog, allaboutchris.org. And this has been This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. You can check that out at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. If you manage to not misspell cataclysm, like I do most of the times I type it in. Or you can find This Book I Read at any podcast platform of choice. And finally... If you would like to support what we do at Beyond Cataclysm, we do have a Patreon. We do not talk about it enough. Uh, but if you felt like checking out patreon.com forward slash beyond cataclysm, your money would help us to produce more podcasts and to continue doing the stuff we do, championing authors we love and printing interesting things with lovely people. So thank you very much. If you, We're very nearly done here. If you have a chance to give us five stars on a podcast platform of your choice, that would be magnificent. Uh, Rachel, do you have any closing words for us? Check out my book, Cascade. Um, check out uh, the fine tradition of post-apocalyptic um, and yet slightly hopeful sci-fi and fantasy. And um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being with us. Goodbye and thanks for listening. Bye. You've just listened to This Book I Read, hosted by me, C.M. Lowry, starring Rachel A. Rosen. Find out more about us, our podcasts, opportunities for submissions to our projects, and more at beyondcataclysm.co.uk Thanks for listening.